and welcome to Leechfest, a medical history podcast that at this point needs a divine miracle to cure our ails, because today we're going to talk about leprosy, or Hansen's disease as it's also known. What is it? And no, it's not the thing from the 90s cartoons where it makes your fingers fall off. I'm Mia. And I'm Salem. Leprosy is an interesting subject because while it has a long history, it also has a lot of myth-making around it and a lot of rumors and stigma that make it stand out a little bit from other diseases. Uh, But before we dive into that, how have you been? Uh, I've been good. I've been working a lot. Um, Honestly, not much interesting has happened since the last time we recorded. I think I've just been really busy with school. Mm -hmm. But how have you been? I've been good. Uh, I have, you know, I've been doing hair removal treatments, mm-hmm. basically. And that's been it. I've been living in pain uh, and extreme suffering uh, mm-hmm. every time because it is one of the most painful things I've ever been through in my entire life. Um, but it's almost over. Mm-hmm. I'm almost free, which means I can finally shoot my videos again. Because <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, we've had a few streams where you just had to wear a mask. Yeah, I made. I actually made a video for Nebula during this treatment because mm-hmm. I couldn't like get around it mm-hmm. um, and yeah I just wore a mask mm. and every time I show my face it's, it sucks to do that but it's you know you gotta do what you gotta do yeah and I mean it's gonna it's forever so yeah. you know you just gotta do it now and then you're free of yeah. it like all future content will be more hairless <laughs> but also some news for the podcast uh, while this is out we should be on Nebula now mm-hmm. uh, our previous podcast host is Acast uh, so if you're a patron of us you may notice some change regarding like like early rewards simply because Acast is integrated to Patreon. Nebula isn't in the same way, but we do hope that it's gonna like give us more like advantages in the future uh, and like provide like a nice platform for us to sort of grow yeah, on. Yeah, I think the transition period. It's like I mean, we already changed. Yeah platforms once and at the beginning it was a little bit weird because we had like some duplicate episodes mm-hmm. um, just while the transition was happening so if you notice something strange uh do let us know we'll fix it but that should be you know it should be fixed it should be fixed, um, yeah. quite soon yeah but just let, let us know if something looks weird mm-hmm. and before we go into the episode itself we obviously want to thank all of our wonderful patrons for supporting this episode to make sure that we can make good content on the internet on the on the information superhighway on the interwebs and the like interwebs the, like the youth says the, the, the youth say the youths. Youths. yeah the, the youths the youths the youths i don't think the youths say that the anymore. youths say that patrons uh, get access to notes of our episodes uh, that we use while recording they can also see episodes early including a video version that has like bloopers extra content as well as being able to see our lovely faces you also have a chance for a mid episode shout out uh, by name and this episode we want to thank Mia Mako. Thank you Mia for for supporting us and for supporting this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode about leprosy. Uh, And with that said let's take a stroll down to the leper colony. So as always when we talk about a specific disease I'll start by by giving a short overview about the the putative agent what causes it like what kind of disease it is uh, what symptoms it causes and, and things like that. So leprosy which is also known as Hansen's disease is a chronic infection caused by the bacteria Mycobacterium leprae or Mycobacterium lepromatosis. The name leprosy comes from the Greek word lepra meaning scale because mm-hmm. it causes skin uh, thickening mm-hmm. there's there's uh, there's big discussions about the name which the i'll name, get to yeah. later because <laughs> it's um 
it's controversial. And um, Hansen, so Hansen's disease, Hansen was a Norwegian physician who identified the leprae bacteria. The disease is a slow developing illness with the incubation time usually taking at least one year. Um, oh, Jesus. Though it can also take up to 20 years. So it's a very yeah. slow multiplying mm-hmm. bacteria. Like you get it and then you might be fine for like a long time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then it, mm-hmm. it happens. Common signs of leprosy include the development of skin lesions, muscle weakness, the thickening of peripheral nerves and changes in phonation and other aspects of speech production. The nerve damage that is commonly associated with leprosy occurs in about 30% of people and can cause a variety of symptoms depending on the type of nerves affected. So if the motor nerves are affected, it can cause loss of muscle function and paralysis. Sensory nerve damage can lead to numbness and loss of feeling, which can then cause further ulcerations and infections down the road. And autonomic nerve damage can interfere with the body's ability to maintain basic functions, such as sweating and bowel function. Oh no! Uh, Speaking of infections, you know how leprosy has long been associated with loss of limbs? Mm -hmm. The reason for that is because the loss of feeling caused by nerve damage can cause the patient to not register wounds, which can lead to them being infected and Mm. having to be amputated. Um, And something else that happens in leprosy is the cartilage in the body becomes reabsorbed, which causes fingers and toes to become shorter, which possibly contributed to the misconception that they fell off. Interesting. That um, answers a lot of questions, mm-hmm. I feel like. And the cartilage becoming reabsorbed is also the reason why leprosy, if left untreated, can cause a disintegration of the nose bridge, causing a deformity known as saddle nose. Mm-hmm. This condition is also what can happen in patients with untreated syphilis, which I think we forgot to mention in our syphilis episode. Mm-hmm. Like We didn't really talk about the, the nose deterioration deterioration that that happens in syphilis Mm -hmm. so in the case of syphilitic patients the t pallidum bacteria invade and destroy the bone and cartilage tissue causing the nose bridge to collapse whereas um whereas with leprosy the cartilage just just becomes absorbed so it's a different mechanism but it causes it it leads to a very similar effect however back to leprosy The good news is that nerve damage can be treated if caught early, but it does become permanent if the treatment is delayed even by several months. Mm. So what are these bacteria like? What, how do they work? What do they do? I know that they look oblong. That's all I know. (laughs) Yes, you are correct. Rod shaped. So first of all, there's, there are two types of bacteria. There's the M. leprae and the M. lepromatosis. The lepromatosis bacteria is a relatively new type. It was actually only identified in 2008, and they are both clinically indistinguishable, meaning that they cause the same disease. But, you know, they're different species. Um, Both of these bacteria types lack the genes that are necessary for independent growth. They are obligate intracellular pathogens, so they're obligated to grow inside a host's cells, which also means that they cannot be cultured in a lab. Mm -hmm. However, it is possible to grow them in animals, including mice and armadillos. And armadillos are a great model animal for leprae bacteria. Mm-hmm. I've heard this. It's, did you say that they, they can't be cultured? No, no. Because yeah. they have to grow inside the host cells. Yeah. So I when when I did research on this, apparently this is something that like doctors, when they were discovering it, I mean, I'll talk about that more later, mm-hmm. like were banging their heads against the wall because yeah, yeah. they were trying to like find a medium to culture leprosy yeah, 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 yeah. and no one could figure out how to yeah, do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, why won't it work? Yeah, yeah. Well, but, but now we know it's they just they just need a host. They just need armadillos. Um, they love armadillos. In mice, I think there's other animals. I think squirrels are also a proper host. I think red squirrels 
But for some reason, they just love armadillos. They love living in armadillos. Love armadillos. Uh, so that is the animal of choice, like the model animal of choice. Um, which, by the way, I'm not sure if armadillos are used for anything else. They might be, but I, I, I've never really heard of armadillos as being like a, a model animal for many other... They're used... I know that they're used in medical Victoria. science by doctors and interns when they want to go bowling. What? <laughs> armadillos, they go up in the ball and you can check, check them. Yeah, they, they're they very like useful for, for biomedical science when, when they, yeah. they want to go bowling. When they want to go bowling. So speaking of um, armadillos, uh, the fact that they can become infected with leprosy is great from the perspective of biomedical research, mm -hmm. but it's also a public health concern because yeah. people have like a lot of contact with armadillos, especially in some areas of the world, like for example, in the, in the south uh, of the United States. Yeah, because of the bowling. Because of the bowling, exactly. Um, but, you know, like people make purses and boots from their liver. Some people keep them as pets. Right. And put them in petting zoos and schools and armadillo races, which apparently is a, is a thing. That's they race armadillos. That's horrifying. Um, like I know, like the bowling is obviously a joke, but like the racing thing, I guess, is real, which makes it horrifying. Mm -hmm. Don't race armadillos. They're supposed to like don't, eat bark and like eat like, worms. Don't use animals for fights and races. Don't. Just let them be Just animals. Just let them be animals. <laughs> and also, in some areas, armadillo meat is eaten. Like they're hunted mm. for for meat. And yes, eating the meat actually can cause an infection with leprosy because mm. the bacteria is like it, it stays in the meat so then you eat it and mm. it infects you so i was about to ask that yeah so and you can get infected from handling armadillo feces also so you know just don't like if you see an armadillo you see armadillo feces like you know don't touch it don't <laughs> look at it don't, don't i know if you see them. an armadillo shit on the ground you I, we know you want to touch it and play you want to touch so it bad, so bad but, you but you, you have to keep we away. I hate to say this, that you can't play with the armadillo poop. Well, I mean, for, for example, I know that in the United States, they are quite um, widespread. Somebody, I made a post about it on Twitter and somebody was like, um, you know, their mom had an armadillo infestation in her backyard. Infestation! <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that was like a point of concern. And I'm thinking, you know, if they're like pooping in your garden, you might yeah. think like, well, it's not a big deal. I can just like move it away mm. but you, i guess you just you have to be really careful wear gloves or something because mm -hmm. it can be quite dangerous yeah quite risky um talking about the mechanism of illness it's not entirely clear how the how these bacteria produce illness but we do know that the nerve damage that is associated with leprosy is partly caused by the inflammation caused by the immune response to infection <laughs> That maybe so it, was kind of a long sentence. So, if, so, so the, if I understand it, yeah. it sort of makes the body kill itself a little bit. A little bit. So the infection causes inflammation because the immune response notices like a, you know, a pathogen. Mm -hmm. And then the inflammation is like the, the body's response. It's the body's way to combat infection. And yeah. then that inflammation, it actually causes damages, damage inside the body. Mm -hmm. So it has been shown that the bacteria binds to Schwann cells which are non-neuronal cells in the peripheral nervous system. So the Schwann cells do not produce electric impulses themselves, but they, they, their, their job is to maintain homeostasis, provide support to neurons, and produce myelin. Uh, myelin is a supportive coating that insulates neurons and increases the rate at which the electric impulse is passed along the axon. Yes. I, I just got a big flashback yeah. to sort of like high school biology. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. 
So the bacteria infect and injure Schwann cells, and this leads to demyelination, which leads to the rate of transmission of the electric impulse going down, and ultimately this leads to loss of nerve function. Mm-hmm. And by the way, there's also several genetic elements that can influence the acquisition of leprosy and the clinical course of disease. There is such a thing called single nucleotide polymorphism. They're called SNPs. Um, and SNPs. SNPs. And uh, people do associ- association studies using SNPs. And these association studies have shown that lymphotoxin alpha is a major risk factor for leprosy. And lymphotoxin alpha, which is also known as TNF-beta, is a cytotoxic protein that is secreted by lymphocytes. Lymphocytes are a type of white blood cells, and a cytotoxic protein is like just a a type of protein that they secrete in order to fight pathogens. Okay. And it's this TNF-beta that I'm talking about plays a very important role in immune response. And SNPs in the gene coding for TNF-beta has been associated with, with increased risk for developing, we're, ha- we're like having severe leprosy. So what does that mean? <laughs> this is very good. I don't really understand what all of that means. So SNPs just means like a, a, a nucleotide mutation. Everybody right. has SNPs. It's like regions of variation mm-hmm. within the genome. And certain SNPs can influence the way that the gene functions or the way that the protein folds, or mm-hmm. the way that the, the the amount of protein that is produced. So, you know, I, I haven't looked super much into detail about what these specific SNPs do, like how specifically they affect the protein. But if TNF-beta is highly involved in immune function, and let's say that this SNP causes the TNF-beta to be released in lower amounts, that means that the immune system cannot effectively fight the leprosy bacteria. So... Does that mean that it's like genetic, like different people have like, is it like an hereditary mutation thing that like some, some people just are more susceptible to leprosy than other people? Some people are more susceptible to developing severe leprosy or they have a susceptibility for leprosy to cause higher nerve damage. Mm, Okay. Um, I understand. Yeah. (laughs) Or I mean, but honestly, like even increased levels of TNF beta could cause like more severe disease because like I said, inflammation is what actually causes the nerve damage. So if you have a lot of cytotoxins being released, this could also mean that your nerves are actually more damaged. Mm-hmm. There are a few I completely understand. <laughs> there are a few other SMPs that have been identified as risk factors. And an interesting study also identified several polymorphic risk factors in the promoter region shared by two genes which are also involved in the development of Parkinson's disease. So there might be some overlap in the biochemical pathways of both Parkinson's and leprosy. So isn't it kind of interesting to think that it's actually like a it's a yeah, it's a neurodegenerative yeah. condition and not like a like a skin like a skin thing. Very cool. I had no idea. Yeah. As far as transmission goes, leprosy is not actually as infectious as people used to believe. Um, It's typically transmitted via droplets from the nose and mouth during close and frequent contact with untreated cases. It's not sexually transmitted um, unless you cough in your partner's face. Mm -hmm. Um, As everyone does. (laughs) And a critical part of sexual encounters. And does not spread through pregnancy to the unborn child. Um, oh, yeah. that's good to know. And the majority of people, and that's like 95%, yeah. who are exposed to M. leprae do not develop leprosy. Mm. That makes a lot of sense because I've been looking up like the, the numbers of people who have 
who have the disease. Mm-hmm. Even like in the Middle Ages, which is like disease central, uh, it's, it wasn't, you know, it, it was common enough for it to be like a, recogni- a widespread recognized phenomenon, but it wasn't like a pandemic <laughs> of like of, of that type of disease. So that yeah. makes sense. I guess the long incubation time plus the low rate of transmissibility together means that like that, that's hard to sort of get rid of and it will spread like slowly, sneakily, but that it's also like it won't spread like like wildfire like Like other like other diseases yeah Yeah, i i'm not um i haven't looked specifically into why why its infectivity rates are so low but it just doesn't seem like a very like a very powerful bacteria like you Mm. you know how we were talking about syphilis that it like evades the immune system and it is very like (laughs) it's a little weak is what you're saying it's a little weak it's a little stupid (laughs) a little stupid sometimes it gets lucky but most of the time it doesn't it can't do it i think the fact that it uh, reproduces quite slow contributes to that you Mm -hmm. know it's it's just not going to reach very high levels as quickly as other bacteria Mm -hmm. and i think the immune system like in most cases can just take care of it yeah it's i guess that's i mean i guess it's like well a a well evolved bacteria in that sense because even though it's kind of stupid and even though it doesn't transmit very well it it is still a global thing like you know it and it it has been it's it's on its way out but it's i guess i guess like because you know they they muted for survivability and it it, it is survive it is the bacterium is alive and well so yeah but i think the reason why it's alive and well is <laughs> because of ineffective global health initiatives rather than because the bacteria is very hard to yeah to eliminate but still like if we if we really wanted to we could eliminate yeah, leprosy yeah i'm going to get to that also yeah exactly all right so i think that this disease is kind of sneaky my opinion you may disagree but that's okay and i think it's kind of sneaky and even more sneaky is where it even comes from and its historical prevalence because that is also the source of some debate. I have discovered in my research today, I'm blowing a case wide open, <laughs> Wikipedia being wrong. <laughs> so we don't just go to Wikipedia and do our thing. We do a lot of Wikipedia research, but we don't just do there because I have discovered Wikipedia being wrong for once. And Wait, you do Wikipedia research? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's a good way to get an overview. But sometimes I get things wrong, which again, I'll get to that, whatever, it's not important. Let's talk about, okay, where does leprosy come from originally in the olden times? Uh, Before I get into like historical records of it, let's talk about DNA analysis. In 2005, a multinational team of geneticists tracked down the origin by retracing the analysis of a very rare single nucleotide polymorphism is that how you say mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. words? You can just say SNP. SNP. Okay, a SNP. And they found out that leprosy probably originates either in East Africa or in the Near East, close to modern-day Pakistan and northern India. What they actually did was um, they analyzed four strains of leprosy mm-hmm. that exist like in various parts of the world, right? Like they're they're very similar, but they're like genetically slightly different. Mm-hmm. So by comparing the like the genome basically of like these different strains they could sort of like place them in order and most of the order is pretty easy to like identify like strain number four which i i didn't write down the names because they're like just long letters yeah, yeah. but like strain four basically comes after strain strain three yep. very easily which comes after strain two and one but the between one and two is a bit difficult and strain one is in africa and strain two 
is in Asia, like in Indonesia and China.、Uh, it was a bit of controversial, like, like okay, where, which, which one of these is the oldest one? But basically, this giant study concluded that it does come from from East Africa. But they also found in two thousand and nine. I actually cut this from the script.、Mm-hmm. Uh, but in two thousand and nine, after this, some researchers found bones in India that dated back to to the third millennium、uh, before Common Era. So like five thousand years ago, in yeah, in northern India, and the bones there had evidence of the second strand of the second the second, second strain、snip. of yeah, yeah of, of 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 leprosy. So we know we know that even though it comes from、uh, East Africa, so early on it had already spread to to northern India using like. The trade systems that existed、mm. in that region at that time, and so we, and because of this, we know that it was present in the ancient Indus Valley civilizations, and、uh, and we, we'll come back, we'll come back to that a little bit more. So while we know that the first strain is in East Africa, the second strain is in Asia, we know that this that the third strain came to Europe and North Africa,、uh, and eventually the Americas. Probably via trade, but legend says that it came to Europe. From the returning armies of Alexander the Great, because he led vast armies from Greece, from Macedonia, all the way to like to India, and when the armies returned, legend says that's when leprosy starts to appear in like European records. It's not for sure that this is the case. There are some there are some discourse here, and I'll get to that too. That, <laughs> this is where Wikipedia is wrong.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the fourth strain. Uh, only really started occurring around 500 years ago, in the Caribbean and in West Africa. I will give you one hint, as if you can guess what historical event happened r- roughly 500 years ago involving West Africa and the Caribbean, because <laughs> it came from Europe to those areas. The slave trade. <laughs> yeah, the slave trade. <laughs> I was like, is this a trick question or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it's it, so it's it 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 spreads from there. From Europe, like basically to the rest of the world, yeah,、um, because of imperialism, colonialism, and the slave trade, and this is this is very interesting because the the genetic samples of leprosy between West African and East African populations they're the most distantly related to each other. So we know that there wasn't that the population migration from East to West Africa like wasn't too wasn't too、uh, popular that that it's gone like all the way around Africa. I think that's interesting. But that's、uh, sort of what we know now, thanks to genetic analysis.、Uh, let's go into what I like talking about, which is historical accounts.、Uh, and here is where things start getting complicated. The earliest record of leprosy that we know of can be read in the Great Chronicle of Sri Lanka, which has a name, which I can't pronounce. I didn't didn't even bother. It mentions two ancestors of a local royal person. Uh, who got leprosy, and after living in the wilderness for a while, came back home and were cured after having found a herbal remedy in the forest. <laughs> so that's and that's it. Cool. <laughs> They got leprosy. Then <laughs> like, they went into the forest. This prince's ancestors got leprosy once, but they went into the forest, found <laughs> found a tree bark, ate it, and now they're fine.、Mm-hmm. Now it's a little complicated to say whether or not ancient accounts like this actually mention. What we understand to be leprosy.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always hard with with historical accounts. I mean,、mm-hmm. we're talking about syphilis too. It's like, 
oh it was could, it syphilis yeah. or was it gonorrhea or was it like mm-hmm. you know like we don't know because yeah they, they really didn't distinguish between conditions that you know caused similar symptoms back mm-hmm. then yeah so you had skin ulcers Le- leprosy leprosy mm-hmm. dry skin leprosy <laughs> yeah you have a headache leprosy <laughs> immediately leprosy <laughs> no but that, that's sort of what happened like yeah, it, yeah. it's also kind of understandable because there's no like standardized testing or like yeah, yeah. uh global common understanding about like what a disease is yet yeah yeah that doesn't exist and i mean with leprosy like one of its main effects right that we that we look out for now is nerve degeneration Mm -hmm. but they didn't really like i don't think they were really able to look at that so i think they would primarily look at how it looked on the outside like skin skin lesions like hardening of the skin yeah i guess i mean i guess they could see that you know i mentioned like shortening of limbs shortening mm-hmm. of fingers and toes mm-hmm. probably like muscle muscle degeneration mm-hmm. they may have been able to look at that too but, but there are like, so many there are so many yeah. things that that has skin lesions as a symptom mm-hmm. so i think it, it, you know it might have been quite difficult to be sure if that yeah. was leprosy or something else exactly and this is something that is plaguing historians today yeah so it's uh when i say wikipedia is wrong wikipedia is wrong but most historians don't actually like all historians don't actually agree on how it's wrong so and uh, because I'll, I'll get to that and that is the problem of uh hippocrates our <laughs> our guy <laughs> in ancient greece because he described skin lesions that he called leprosy that's he sort of coins the term basically from mm-hmm. leprosy. However, other people dispute this because when you look at what Hippocrates was actually describing, he was describing skin lesions and like skin hardening that could maybe be a leprosy, but more likely refers to like a myriad of other skin diseases. And also, it's kind of unclear whether or not leprosy, what we call leprosy, was even present in ancient Greece at this time yet. Uh, it's possible that it hadn't left India like at this point. Mm-hmm. Wikipedia, however, says that he did know about leprosy and that he had cures for it. <laughs> so I don't know where they got that. It's it's wrong. Well, do, well wait. Do they cite anything? No. Any source? Great. <laughs> no, they do not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love, well, I love how Wikipedia writers... I mean, I have all mm-hmm. the respect in the world for Wikipedia writers. But mm-hmm. sometimes you'll, you'll see a sentence that's like, yes, Hippocrates did know about leprosy and he also cured it. Period. Mm-hmm. But Move like, on. <laughs> like, well, so here's the thing, right? He 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 had a disease. Mm-hmm. He called it leprosy, and he cured it. Well, yeah, so, but you should still yeah. like refer to to like a paper. Yeah, and, but you should. Yeah, but like he did those things, but it doesn't really. They don't mention that. Like, okay, but what he called leprosy mm-hmm. was what we maybe would call like dry skin. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. it doesn't really fit into like the history of leprosy in that sense because it's a it's a different disease. Anyway, um, other historical mentions are, for example, in China. The first mention of leprosy there is in the Feng Zhenji, or Models for Sealing and Investigating, written up around 250 before Common Era. It's under a section of skin disorders and mentions the destruction of, of the nasal septum, which is pretty advanced for the time. Yeah. This is the first time scholars write about this specific zim- symptom in relation to leprosy. And this is something that other scholars wouldn't notice until Avicenna in the 11th century, because uh, he would make the same observation. Uh, good for him. He's everywhere. When we did research for this, we, we noted that mm-hmm. Avicenna, he, he's everywhere. 
every yeah. disease. Yeah, yeah. He was a very productive man. If you look at his um, like biography, he's like physician, mathematician, ma- mathematician, uh, philosopher, astrologer. writer, astrologer, theologian, uh, physicist, <laughs> chemist, surgeon, <laughs> surgeon. <laughs> Teacher. This guy, like the second he was like 14, he yeah, was yeah. like Sigma grind set yeah. every day. Never stop the grind. Yeah, yeah. I do want to return to the problem of like mislabeling things as leprosy. Because this is a significant problem, not just with Hippocrates, but like, or with how we view Hippocrates, but also like with a lot of scholars since Hippocrates. Because when leprosy does start to appear in Europe, a lot of uh, like European doctors, they read Hippocrates notes and they're like, well, this is the same disease. So they make the same mistake that we do. And they would classify a lot of skin disorders as leprosy wrongly, as we've already mentioned. And medical texts from the medieval age described very inconsistent versions of leprosy all the way up to the 17th century and sometimes would even classify like fungal diseases mm-hmm. as being leprosy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. However, I do want to mention this, that when we look at graves though, this is thanks to archaeologists, we do see that people who are like quarantined for the reason of leprosy are much more likely to actually have leprosy than any, than other diseases. So the theory here goes that the doctors who actually worked on leprosy, they they were much better at knowing what leprosy actually was. But the people who wrote it down were bad at it. <laughs> and that's the theory. So even though medical texts are like a little here and there, they probably had a much better understanding than, than what we remember. Once again, history is written by the writers. And the writers are often wrong. <laughs> Even the English translation of the Bible does this sort of misattribution of, of leprosy. You know how Jesus cures leprosy mm-hmm. in the Bible? Mm-hmm. The Bible is one of his like uh, miracles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually a mistranslation uh, in the English translation uh, into the Bible uh, from the word tzitzarath, which is more likely referring to someone who's just kind of messed up. <laughs> like, they have parasitic infections. They have like skin lesions. They're... Hair is falling out. Like someone, <laughs> someone who's just like a mess. Just basically. having a bad time. Having a bad time. Yeah. But much more often referred to like parasitic infections yeah. uh, than, than actual leprosy. It almost definitely did not refer to leprosy. Just imagine this like wreck of a person <laughs> with like, you know, ulcerations, hair falling out. Mm-hmm. Parasites. Like, like limping. Yeah. But then Ooh. Jesus comes along, touches you on the forehead. You're cured. You're fine. Well, but I mean, it wasn't leprosy, though. It wasn't leprosy, though. However, this also cemented the idea of, 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 of like leprosy as like a generic skin disease mm-hmm. into the public consciousness. So this sort of myth-making continues. Mm-hmm. But why, then, do we still call this specific disease leprosy? Surely it would be better resigned to history along with the words, like, hysteria. Mm-hmm. Like, Just gener- generalized, like, mental illness. Exa- exactly. <laughs> Well, when leprosy was discovered in 1873 by G.H. Adamauer Hansen in Norway, he named it Mycobacterium leprae. And the name leprosy just stuck, because he used the term that Hippocrates used, Mm -hmm. because he's wrong. He was not a very smart man, this um, Adamauer Hansen. I mean, maybe just like archaeology developed since then, you know, I'm trying to not... Yeah, maybe, but he 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 has done some shady things, which I'll get into. Right okay, now. <laughs> we we don't like him. Well, he's okay. Well, he, wait, he's well, done some fuck ups. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, you'll see what I think. Okay. you'll see what I talk about. All right. Uh, but this is also why it's sometimes today called Hansen's disease, and it's more probably accurately called Hansen's disease. We've used leprosy here because that's what more people are familiar with. Yeah. But it's named after him, like Hansen's disease. 
and also because leprosy is this bad term historically that doesn't yeah might as well be hysteria but how did hansen discover this wonderful <laughs> awful disease good question before his work it was commonly believed that leprosy was either transmitted hereditarily or that it was miasmic in origin. And it was still unclear whether or not this was a specific disease in itself or if it still referred to a sort of um, like catch-all term for a variety of skin illnesses. Mm -hmm. Hansen, however, was a smart little boy and used epidemiological studies to conclude that it had to have a specific cause and that it was a specific disease. It doesn't make sense for it to be hereditary. It doesn't make sense for it to be miasmic. Like, there are outbreaks of this thing. So he, he knew that it had to be something. And he did discover uh, leprosy in patients using a new and improved microscope. That's all we know about how he did that. Like, he looked at cells and was like, that's leprosy. I can see it. <laughs> but he did not see them as bacteria initially. Hansen actually tried to infect multiple animals and cultures with leprosy uh, to study it easier, to no avail. And he actually tried to infect a woman with leprosy without her consent. Because hmm. he was like... I need I need a test subject. I, I'm just going to take this random woman. Just pick the woman off the street, try to infect her with leprosy. Kind of. Uh, she wasn't infected. She was fine. Yeah. But still, kind of a dick move. Yeah, kind of a dick move. In 1879, however, he gave some samples to a man called Albert Neisser, who managed to stain the bacteria and confirm the findings as being bacteriological. And he instantly tried to downplay Hansen's work and take credit for himself discovering the bacteria, even though he just confirmed that, like, hey, this exists and it's a bacteria. Hansen's findings was also immediately opposed by his own father-in-law, Daniel Cornelius Danielsen, these damn Norwegians, who considered it a hereditary disease. And he had described it as such in his book, Treti de la Spakenheld och Elephantidis des Reitz. I can't pronounce that anyway. <laughs> this sounds like French, but you're pronouncing it like Dutch. <laughs> I know. What language does this mean? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so there was a little bit of like back and forth about like who is who is the right person here, like what theory is the correct one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the second people started to like view leprosy with Hansen's sort of viewpoint, like as an as, as a specific a, mm -hmm. disease, as a bacterium that spreads among people, the evidence just start flowing in, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, Hansen eventually lost his post at the hospital because of him trying to infect a woman without consent, uh, because he was sued. Fair. So he lost his job there. But yeah. he went on to treat leprosy in Norway as best as he could, and he became like an advisor for the government to uh, help with sort of treating, treating leprosy, basically. He advocated for patients to be further isolated, and he helped pass laws in Norway in 1877 and 1885 requiring patients to either be isolated in separate rooms in their own homes or be admitted to hospitals. And while isolation had been part of treatment for a little while, uh, which I'm sure you'll mention like a little bit, and I'll get back to that too, uh, this made it a standardized practice to be enforced by the state. And it, they immediately saw like improvements in numbers, like all, like within like two or three years, they saw the, the statistics on leprosy like immediately decline. And governments around the world basically was like, oh, cool, we're going to do the exact same thing and start isolating leprosy patients more, more absolutely than before. And then he died at the age of 70 uh, due to a weak, weak heart, but not of syphilis, which he also had. So in this section, I will talk about treatments and I will start with a few words on early interventions. 
Um, I couldn't find super much about it, and here's where I will admit that I also looked at the Wikipedia page. Um, <laughs> the Wikipedia page says that blood used to be used in China as a treatment, either as a beverage or as a bath, and that sometimes the blood of children or virgins was required. Um. Um, they do reference a book for this. The book is called Leprosy in Pre-Modern Medicine, A Malady of the Whole Body. I tried to get access to it. I am currently part of three universities, so I tried with three different university accounts, but I couldn't get access to it, so I couldn't check this. Yeah. But um, you know, could it's, not, unverified claim. Yeah, it's but... unverified claim. It's, it's in a book, but you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, there's a lot of virgins to yeah, cure leprosy. I, I know, bro. Um, but there's a look. There, there's a chance that virgin uh, blood baths were, were used to to treat leprosy at various times in history. If you know anything about this, please let us know or correct us mm -hmm. if we're wrong. I'm I'm saying this, but take it with a with a fat grain of salt. <laughs> yeah, with a big mug of salt. The practice was apparently quite popular, and it was used up until the 1790s, where the use of dog blood became popular. They also used lamb blood, or the blood of dead bodies. <laughs> it's a lot of blood. Uh, it's a lot of blood for leprosy. I, I really don't think they used this much blood for literally anything else. Yeah. Um, so I don't. I don't know what's up. The uh, fact. The, the fact that like. I was, I was about to mention that, like, it can't be have been a lot of blood, like a like a, like a little but rubbing of no, blood, maybe, but like the baths of it. Like, blood baths. Like, that doesn't make any sense. The like, blood literal blood baths. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I can imagine how because of, because it's like a, a skin disease, yeah. they would think that they need to, like, really soak in it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, a little, I'm, I'm a little sus about this. Other than blood, they liked to use snake and scorpion venom, frog poison, and doses of thousands of bee stings. Thousands of bee stings. Um, oh my god! They just god. put you in a room and release the bees. Again, <laughs> you know, again, like the, this whole thing. I, I really tried really hard to find anything about like early ancient treatments, and I just couldn't find yeah. anything. So I like I, the, the the poisonous frog though. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like being able to like not only might you get treated for leprosy, but also die. I have a nice little trip and then die. <laughs> Um, okay, other treatments included scarification with or without the addition of irritants, including arsenic and hellebore. That's not good. And castration. <laughs> In the Middle Ages. It solves everything. It, they, they just cut your balls off. Can't hurt. Um, so, like, again, I have no idea why they would think that castration is a good idea for leprosy, but... Hear me out. Leprosy can lead to testicular atrophy. So maybe they thought that the poison originated in the balls. Um, and so they just decided to cut them off and the fix it. The leprosy stored in the, the balls. Le the leprosy stored in the balls. So no. you know, just cut off the balls and you're oh fine. Oh my god. Yeah. Anyway, moving on from this somewhat more modern and humane treatment, and this is like a bit more verified, was an oil derived from the seeds of the Chalmugra tree, which had been used to treat leprosy and other skin conditions in India and China. I, I read about this. Yeah. This, this wasn't used for a long time, right? It's been used for a very long time. Despite it having been used for centuries in these places, it took until an English doctor working in Calcutta in the 1850s reported about its possible util utility in treating leprosy that the oil became available in the early 20th century. As um, with many things in history, the second an Englishman discovers something, 
That's yeah. when it's discovered for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, the drug was not... It like it had a little bit of it had some issues. The oil, because they, they they used oil, they also used oil derivatives, right? I'm just gonna call it a drug. <laughs> oil and oil derivatives. <laughs> Damn it, Bobby. <laughs> so I'm just gonna call it a drug. It had its flaws. Mm-hmm. It was not effective when applied locally. It produced nausea when taken orally and caused pain upon injection. This is not a great. It wasn't great. Scenario. I mean, like it had been used like pretty. Successful, yeah. I guess, if, yeah. if it had been used for centuries yeah. in India and China, like, I guess they had some success with it. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess, you know, as they were moving into, like, the 20th century, they started looking for drugs that had a bit fewer side effects mm-hmm. and they were a bit more, you know, the, the, the outcome was a bit more certain. Mm-hmm. So uh, this drug was used up until the 1940s. And then with the introduction of cell phones, it was abandoned. The introduction of? The introduction of cell phones which is a drug category I'm going to talk about. Ah, because I heard cell phones. <laughs> cell phones. Like, How does cell phones impact the use of this medicine? No, I'm interesting. Uh, cell phones, like sulfate, but cell phone. One cell phone in particular, diaminophenyl cell phone, or DDS for short, was synthesized in Germany in 1908, but it wasn't until the 30s that its bactericidal properties started being investigated. The bactericidal property is that they interfere with bacteria's growth by preventing them from synthesizing the essential vitamin folic acid, which they need to produce DNA and reproduce. Uh, so they prevent the bacteria from multiplying. A derivative of the compound called Promin was given to patients in 1941. And while it had its drawbacks, it also reversed the course of the disease, which was great. Great. Its drawbacks included the fact that it had to be given intravenously on a regular schedule and for a long period of time. So over the next decades, other cell phone drugs started being developed that were more efficient and also that could be taken orally. Rifenpicin. <laughs> Wait, that's I think, not what it's called. I think it's called ri- Rifenpicin. 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 I'd love to have lunch with light and <laughs> Pissin poopin. Fried rice and pissin. Rifen. Yeah, so the, this new medicine that was discovered, uh, piss and poopin, <laughs> should and its co and sister medicine, shouldn't farten, um, was very good at treating leprosy. <laughs> hold on, hold on. It's not pronounced rifampicin. <laughs> can't be. This is going in the audio version. It has to. Rifampicin. Rifampicin. Okay, so it's rifampicin. That's rice and pissin. <laughs> it, ha- it still has pissin in it. <laughs> Riff and pissin. Sounds gone. <laughs> Riff and pissin. I'm not going to be able to record the rest of the ass. <laughs> Riff and pissin. No, you can. You Riff- can. Shit and farting. Yeah, right, 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 right and pissin and shit and farting. <laughs> We're... Two other truly bacteriological drugs that were developed in. Yes. You have to take my part. You have to do it. <laughs> okay. No, hold on. No, no, no. That's my part. Rice and, rice and pissin. This is a te- technicalities <laughs> screen. <laughs> like for 10 minutes while we're yeah. laughing about. <laughs> There's like a cartoon, like just like with a, with a wrench. You have to put this in the audio version. It's a very serious name for a very serious Clofazim. disease. <laughs> you can do it. Clo- Clofazimin. 
Rifampicin and clofazimine were two other truly bactericidal drugs that were developed in the 60s that actually allowed for people to be treated as outpatients, so they didn't have to be isolated from the general population anymore. Unfortunately, as soon as leprosy finally became treatable, the problem of drug-resistant bacteria arose. Great! <laughs> um, resistance to cell phones first arose in the 60s, and then resistance to rifam... <laughs> it's bad! <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> I thought I was done with it. Resistance to cell phones first arose in the 60s, and then resistance to rifampicin in the early 70s. Some strains even became resistant to both sulfos and rifampicin, which briefly returned the leprosy to untreatable status. In the 80s, WHO issued the recommendation that leprosy be treated with combination multi-drug therapy and that all leprosy treatment should be limited in duration. Therefore, patients with mild leprosy receive medication for six months and those with severe leprosy for no more than two years. While these methods were initially highly controversial, they proved to be successful and became the standard of treatment. And that sounds all very practical, but we haven't always had these wonderful medications. And, as we all know, we haven't always had this wonderful oil until it was discovered by this weird <laughs> Englishman. There is one way, I think, that most people are familiar with how we sort of not treat leprosy itself, but sort of like treat it as a public health concern. Uh, eliminate leprosy from the from from the from, from the spectrum of problems that this is that society has to deal with. Yeah, and that is the solution that people have come up with is the solution of leper colonies. <laughs> well, there's a there's a couple of reasons for why this happened in the first place, and I'll go over them like a little bit. Like, what is a leper colony? I'll, I'll talk about it. Obviously, this disease has symptoms that are visible, which a lot of people in like pre-modern uh, society found like scary, mm -hmm. like like intimidating, and there was big. There was there were a lot of like rumors around people who had the disease. Um, some people thought that leprosy was caused by like bad morals. Uh, some people thought that it was like hereditary, like a, some people thought it was a curse, and a lot of people like considered them to be like highly infectious. Do not like get close to them. Led to a lot of like stigmatization and shunning from society. And this contributed to people with leprosy being occasionally like isolated in asylums. And there were asylums that helped people with leprosy, but it's actually kind of a little bit of a myth that during the medieval era, if someone had leprosy, they were like immediately sent off to the leper colony and never, no one ever saw them of them again. It's a little bit of a myth, and I'll, I'll get to that. Isolation and confinement did happen on occasion, but it wasn't specifically just for leprosy, but it could also include basically anyone who had like physical symptoms that people were scared of. So again, with like leprosy being a sort of like catch-all term for a lot of different diseases, the same thing is true for like leper colonies. So like if you if you look scary, unfortunately, odds are that you could be sent to the leper colony. Yeah. These leper colonies would sometimes be called Lazar houses or lazarets, after Saint Lazarus, who had the disease. This is how Swedish, the language of Swedish, uh, actually gets the word lazaret, which is an alternative word for hospital. I've never heard that before. Me neither! I will, lazaret? Yeah. I've heard lazaret. I have, I've never heard lazaret. Um, I think maybe it's not super common like in the Stockholm area, or mm -hmm. like in bigger cities, mm -hmm. but in like in smaller towns, it's mm. like, you can go to lazaretet. 
And I think that's, I learned while doing this that like that's the origin of the word. I think that's super cool. Yeah. Um, these were often run by monastic orders, uh, and contrary to popular belief today, they were probably like a perfectly fine place to live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like um, evidence that we've seen so far doesn't indicate that like a leper colony was any worse. Uh, and, and any worse place to live than a non-isolated person, mm-hmm. like in a city or in a village. Yeah, and um, I'm I'm really <clears throat> I'm really glad you're saying this because there's definitely like a myth around like leprosy and leper mm-hmm. colonies. That anybody with leprosy would just be like sent off to live like in the woods and like fend for themselves or mm-hmm. like live with other like untouchables. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not really true. I think you you talk a little bit about it mm-hmm. here and a bit like later. But in like at times in the Middle Ages, like they were taken care of. Yeah, uh, they were treated like pretty humanely and like with with a modicum of respect. Yeah, exactly. And they maybe they didn't have they didn't know yet how to cure it, mm-hmm. but um, you know they weren't just left to mm-hmm. die. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually something that I kind of get back to a bit later that yeah. I want to mention that like even though there were some like Lazar houses and uh, like places where they could be like a bit isolated from the rest of society the vast majority of people with leprosy were not sent to these places. They were taken care of in their homes or just taken care of themselves. Because, like, this is not a debilitating disease in many cases. Like, you can have it and still, you know, go to go to work. Mm. Um, like, I, not forever, obviously, but for, for, for a while. And, 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 a, and a big reason why some people would, like, willingly go to these places is because, like, if you have visible symptoms... You know, people might want to stay away from you in, mm. in towns and cities, and it could be it can be hard for you to like have a social life and mm. a social connection, and that's why people sometimes willingly went to these places where, well, the idea was like, well, if you already have it, you can't catch it. Like, if everyone is sort of in the same boat, you can sort of like have a nice little village, a nice little society for yourself. Yeah, but so I have two things to say about this. First of all, like I had no idea that they would allow you to partake. <clears throat> in society if you had leprosy because mm-hmm. you know you're saying that you know they had a little bit of free choice this depends very much yeah, on time yeah. and space in some in sometimes they have been completely banned from entering cities yeah, yeah. and they have been forced to go to leper houses that has happened yeah but it was much more the exception than the norm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. interesting I mean, I'm just, uh, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm just thinking that since they didn't quite know how leprosy was transmitted, mm-hmm. I was just under the impression that they they didn't know that it wasn't very infectious. Mm-hmm. And my impression was that they sent people off just because they thought that it was quite infectious. That, sometimes that has been the case. Yeah. And, and that, that does happen. Like there, there is a public like image that like these people were very infectious. But that some but that sometimes was not like enough cause to sort of like exile someone mm-hmm. from the village or town. Mm-hmm. That would sometimes just mean that like oh, <laughs> old Billy is just gonna stay at the farm for a little mm. like more and like keep a bit of a distance mm-hmm. and like. Okay. Um, so they still like they even if they stayed within like their community, mm-hmm. they still were kind of like supposed to keep a distance. Yeah, they wouldn't get shipped off to like. Yeah, yeah, so like they could be part of society still, and like it definitely be part of like their family still. But it would be, like keeping a distance was like seen as like the thing to do in almost all cases. Another thing that I wanted to comment on here is from what I've seen, these leper colonies, they were not just for people who had leprosy. They were yeah. they were homes for a lot of people Mm -hmm. with different conditions Mm -hmm. like infectious conditions so what i'm wondering about is like even so even though they were well cared for 
mostly for, for the standards of the time. Yeah, for the standards of the time. I don't know if it's. I don't know if I would call it like like a place where you could just go and have a good time with other people with leprosy. <laughs> yeah, because no, I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm thinking. You know, like maybe you have leprosy, but like if you're. If you're in this, if you're put in the same house with like other people who maybe have like tuberculosis or something, mm-hmm. you know, it's quite likely that you might get infected with other things. So lazar houses would mostly be places for people with like skin diseases. Mm-hmm. So people like with tuberculosis, for example, they would probably be sent to somewhere else. And from what I could read uh, here, anyway, was like if. Like, they, they would still have a modicum of, like, isolation even mm-hmm. within the leper colonies. Like, people would have, like, their own rooms. They would live in separate houses occasionally. So they would still keep, like, a bit of difference. But mm-hmm. the idea was, anyway, that, like, they... If it spreads, it spreads within the colony rather mm-hmm. than, like, mm-hmm. and it was, to I wider guess, society. Yeah. And I guess it's it's good to know that it was a, it was a community. It wasn't, like, a big, big hall with a mm-hmm. hundred beds where everybody shared the space. It was yeah. more like everybody had their own household, and um... some of them, could, some of them could be a bit more like densely packed. But like, again, from like from archaeological evidence, like some places were obviously awful, but so were like so was everywhere. so was the general society <laughs> yeah, occasionally. Yeah, yeah. So like the the idea is like like it's not like oh these places were all great. Like some of them were okay, and some of them were shit. But that's that's <laughs> like accurately sort of reflects the norm of general society as well so yeah. like it, it going to the leper colony doesn't necessarily mean that you will have a worse life yeah that's that's the sort of indication that like that people get but why do we then think that leper colonies were so prevalent i'll get to that actually ignore that i said i have, <laughs> I have other things to say before i get there uh, some colonies would also print their own money that they could use like between themselves because it was an idea that like handling regular money would like spread the disease, like introduce out to... the bacteria mm-hmm. into the the community. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, and some of these colonies would be placed in uh, very like isolated, far off places, like high in the mountains or like on an isolated coastline somewhere, with the purposes of like this will further isol- isolate the, the people to quarantine them. But occasionally they would be placed along like major roads because then it's easier to collect donations. So, like, people passing tr- passing through and, like, you could donate to the leper house. Um, and because they were often, like, run by monastic orders, they were, they, that was, like, seen as a sort of, like, like a good Christian thing mm-hmm. to do, especially in, like, medieval Europe. Which is, which I think is pretty interesting. That, like, some of them were far off, like, as we think of the typical leper colony, uh, but some of them were in main, on, like, very central locations. Some of them were even in towns. It just means that, like, that building is the leper colony. <laughs> And just like don't go in, and just, like only the only the monks go out, and like maybe they had like a courtyard in the back or something. But like, I wonder how the monks protected themselves. I don't know. <laughs> Didn't find anything about that. It was very. I mean, every house was kind of unique, so it's kind of hard to find like a universal like rule for how everything worked. Some of them were run by lepers themselves, and like wasn't run monastically at all. So, but as I mentioned, the prevalence of these colonies is a bit of a myth that was probably exaggerated. We think of leper colonies today as like every col- every like village had like their own like leper colony and that was the only thing that the people did. But the reason why we think this today is because in the late 19th and early 20th century, like lawmakers and scientists would sort of like construct a false narrative mm-hmm. of the medieval age that like this is how we have always dealt with leprosy. And that's why it's okay to like mandate into law to force lepers into the colonies which hadn't been law before. Oftentimes it was like something that the family paid for, it was something that you would like, a local king maybe would, would do occasionally, but like it wasn't, it, it wasn't, wasn't like, like a the, state-enforced yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. system. 
so it's actually like almost a complete myth to to justify kind of shitty rules during that time, like forcing people away from their families and mandating that they have to go to the leper colony. That said, <laughs> those results kind of worked. Like it did bring down the the spread of leprosy significantly because even though it doesn't affect most people, it does still spread via infection, like in, in public life. Uh, some of these colonies still exist today, uh, especially the ones that were like more recently built. In places like India, China, Indonesia, Hansen's disease is still prevalent. I mean, not prevalent, but like... In, There's pockets it, of pockets. it in these places, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think also, um, yeah, some, some places in Africa. Yeah, it is not nearly as widespread as it once was. Um, I actually looked up like the, due to the accessibility of like new medicines, the prevalence of leprosy globally since the 1980s has dropped by 95%, yeah, yeah, it's, which is incredible. It's, it's really not a, a huge problem. I mm -hmm. think there's like less than 200,000 cases a year. And I think that that number is from like 2018. Mm -hmm. And like a, I think half of those cases are in India. Yeah, India is, I think, the one of the large... No... Yeah, one of the largest hotspots. Like I think per, it is. Per raw number. But when talking about like per per million, I think Brazil is the only country in the world left that has, that has I think, more than a, a certain like per capita amount of... Of, of leprosy. It's just that India has so many people. Yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. So the I want yeah. Hmm. I wonder why Brazil. They were like, come to Brazil. <laughs> come to leprosy Brazil. was like bet. Bet. I'll be there. World tour. Yeah. However, because it's not as widespread and because it doesn't really work in the same way, and because there's cures now, these colonies today are more often like they've sort of been either converted or like in the process of converting to just like hospital mm -hmm. where you can get specialized treatment and you're good <laughs> and with modern treatments the stigma has also been reduced significantly and this isn't just by virtue of it like being less prevalent in the world like we don't see it as much and that's why we're like oh I, you know less stigma and this has actually been a significant like dedicated effort by states to be mm -hmm. like because if it is stigmatized more, that leads to harm. It leads also to fewer people like seeking early treatments, mm -hmm. kind of counterproductively, which like makes the problem worse. Yeah. So like in China, actually, it was promoted by the Communist Party that taking care of patients with Hansen's disease was a great achievement and that we should be proud of increasing lifespans and welcoming patients back to society, which also ended much of the sort of like absolute quarantine mindset that many mm -hmm. treatment centers have because you don't need absolute quarantine no. anymore uh, with modern day treatments yeah, yeah i think it yeah. these days like you really don't need this i think you are considered non-infectious after 70 72 hours of taking this this like multi-drug mm -hmm. but a lot a lot of places treatment. like in the 80s and 90s for example they would they would have this mindset that's like because they have leprosy they need to be quarantined until they're fully cured yeah which you don't need to like no, you can no. you, you, you can still have the lesions but if you've started the the therapy like you're you're not you're the bacteria i think is dead and then, like a big reason why the communist party of china did this is also to sort of like build public support for like both for people who have the disease but also like to sort of like not cause a backlash for like letting people back into society because some people were like well shouldn't they be Shouldn't they be isolated though? And the Communist Party says no. <laughs> Let them back. It's a good thing. It's patriotic. Maybe I'll isolate you. Maybe I'll isolate you. And a similar push has been made in many other countries with former colonies. But thanks to medicines like and, and multi-drug therapy, these colonies are like rapidly dwindling. There are a few left, but 
most people with leprosy today just go to a normal hospital and get treatment there. Yeah, well, I mean, the, I guess the problem here is <laughs> having access to multi-drug therapy, yes. having access to hospitals. So, yeah. I mean, that's why it's, it is common in these pockets, uh, you know, because they don't have access to, to these therapies um, there. But. Mm-hmm. but that brings me to the modern status of it. Because of these modern cures today, there's actually an ongoing effort to eradicate leprosy entirely. Just completely off the face of the earth, like mm-hmm. with, like with smallpox. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, like since the 1980s, there's been a 95 reduction in leprosy prevalence, and a lot of health organizations, including the WHO, are aiming for the complete eradication of leprosy uh, with the hope of zero cases by 2030. This will almost definitely not happen. They know this. Uh, Do you know what is going to make it harder? Like the thing with smallpox is it's a it's it's only transmitted between humans. Mm-hmm. Leprosy. Leprosy is... is not. Leprosy is a is a zoonotic disease. But only with a few animals, and it only. This I looked into this. This is this is the weird thing. It okay. can be eliminated because it is. It, it can be spread to some animals, but it's like in, in humans, it's like a ninety five percent chance that it won't, and in most animals, it's even higher. Like it's like a ninety nine point nine percent. Like mm-hmm. you won't spread. So it'll, if some animals get infected, it's a good chance they might just die out on its own. Except for armadillos. However, the armadillo population, there's a movement to cure the armadillo population of leprosy too. And that apparently is a lot easier to do because even though they are like a lot of them, you can easily like track leprosy outbreaks in armadillos as well. So as long as we just keep doing that and we sort of like trace down like what's, where's, where it happens, and as long as we do early contact tracing because of the long incubation time and low infectious rates, it's going to take a long time, but it can be done. So this the is, WHO is optimistic. <laughs> so this is really interesting. Um, and I'm sure that there's a lot of ways to do this that I just don't know mm-hmm. about. And like, I understand contact tracing in animals and all that, mm-hmm. but like, there's part of me that's just like, okay, so like, you know that you have an outbreak of leprosy in this area. Mm-hmm. Now you go to this area, what do you have to do? You have to like find every armadillo in this area. Like you yeah. have to chase them through the woods yeah. and give them the drugs. Yeah. But that's insane. <laughs> but there are people who, who do that. Like your job, is, job to is to chase the armadillos. Chase armadillos and cure them of leprosy. <laughs> that's the best job title. But there are people who do this like right now. There are, there are like teens of like veterinarians in Mexico chasing armadillos chasing yeah chasing armadillos and like trying to get them cured of leprosy and uh, the transmissibility rate between armadillos and humans like even though it does exist it is not like extraordinarily high but the the, the goal but, like, is but the goal is curing if yeah. if the goal is to eradicate the disease that you you can't leave that like 0.01%, like that's not... No, but because of the long transmissibility, uh, because of the low transmissibility rate, the WHO is confident that they can sort of like, they, that they might be able to eradicate it among humans first, and then like do the like long arduous task of like eradicating it in armadillos, because that's going to take forever. Yeah. Um, but as long as that happens, as long as like between human transmission is eradicated, that they see that as a big victory. Mm-hmm. But we'll see how this is going to go. They, they're aiming for 2030. No one really <laughs> thinks that's, that's going to happen. TikTok, TikTok, we got 80 years. <laughs> in ni- the 44th World Health Assembly adopted a resolution in 1981 calling for the elimination of Hansen's disease as a public health problem by the year 2000. That's a lot of caveats. Mm-hmm. The elimination and public health problem. Mm-hmm. And elimination was defined as prevalence of below one case per 10,000 uh 
people at the global level. And this has almost happened. Uh, the WHO in 2000 announced that the Hansen's disease had been eliminated as a public health concern at the global level, but not on a local one. In 2005, India achieved the elimination target at the national level. And by 2011, Mozambique, the Democratic Republic of Congo, Nepal, and East Timor have also achieved elimination, leaving Brazil as the only country with a population of over 1 million yet to do so. At the sub-national level, endemic hotspots remain, and the number of registered cases worldwide has plateaued at around 200,000 annually. And that has been the case for a couple of years now, around 200,000, uh, which isn't great. Governments that have achieved elimination no longer see the disease as a priority, which is kind of good, because it means that we've, we've made huge progress, but it's also bad, because a lot of governments are like, oh, we did it. Yeah, I, I'm also not a big fan of this elimination strategy, because it's like, you know, under, below one per 10,000 people at a global level, to me, that just says that they're going to let, uh, you know, the, the countries that have hotspots and that are usually like more poor deal with it themselves. So this is not, this is not the end goal. Yeah. That is, this is a step, stepping stone process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but in the problem, the problem the WHO has now is like, okay, we, you did the first step mm -hmm. of like eliminating it as a global health problem. Now, the next step is like getting it down to zero cases of leprosy. Mm -hmm. But the problem is now a lot of people are like, a lot of governments are like, oh, we eliminated it as a public health problem. We did it. Yeah, yeah. And the WHO has to be like, no, you're not done yet. You, you, you did one step. You yeah. have to do more. Yeah. So in October 2020, the WHO released a draft for 10-year global leprosy strategy aiming for zero leprosy. But it's unclear how successful that'll be. But they're, they're like doing a sort of renewed push to like revitalize interest and hopefully in 2030, zero leprosy in people. <laughs> hopefully. We're hoping, but we'll see how that goes. Overall though, it is not a huge problem anymore. Like if, if you get leprosy, you can get treated and you can be cured, which is amazing. Once again, I am thankful to be living in the modern day where treatments exist. Uh, and while it is still around, it can be eradicated along with smallpox and rinderpest. The only problem now is not medical, it is accessibility. But the WHO is gonna do the smallpox approach where they dedicate a lot of resources in a short amount of time in localized spaces. Mm. So, and when it's done, it's done. Yeah, I'm looking for, I'm, I, we'll check back in in 2030 and see how they're doing. <laughs> eight, eight years, I guess it would be nine years, podcast anniversary, we can check back in with leprosy. <laughs> how's leprosy see. doing? How's, how's le yeah, we're both gonna be I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be 35, 35 years old. I'll be nearing 40. Yeah. <laughs> ah! Ah! I, I don't need that. <laughs> I don't need that. All right. All right. But that's Hansen's disease or leprosy. How do you feel? It's a sneaky disease that's on its way out. It's, we have almost defeated you, Hansen. <laughs> I thought this um, this was really interesting to to read about all of these diseases. I know a little bit about, mm -hmm. but it doesn't. I like I really had a lot of misconceptions about it, and I thought it was so interesting that it actually is a neurodegenerative disease. Mm -hmm. I had no idea about that. Yeah, um, I had no idea that like leper colonies were like and the, almost like half half a myth kind of in, yeah, like yeah. in the Middle Ages. Yeah, I think yeah. that's super cool very very misconstrued mm -hmm. ideas about leprosy that we had i also yeah i also honestly i did think that it was quite infectious yeah because like i when i was a kid like i learned that leprosy is like if you touch a leper you get leprosy yeah 
But I, mean, that's, I think we, that's what we I were all learn. taught that. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's good we're doing this episode. Then I yeah. can educate the public. It's actually not that infectious. And you can hang out with a person with leprosy and not get leprosy yeah. yourself. They would have to cough in your mouth multiple times over the mm-hmm. course of many months. Yeah. And even then, you may just get lucky because like, it's like 5% Cause risk. Yeah, because your immune system might yeah. deal with it. Um, well, you know, like transmission through... You know, through, don't try transmission, to get Yeah, transmission through respiratory fluids is the way to get it but mm-hmm. you know you you don't just like hang out with somebody and get leprosy that's the point that i'm yeah. trying to get across um yeah good episode i had a lot of fun mm-hmm. long recording so it's gonna be a long episode i think yeah maybe it's pretty fun though. um yeah if you're still around thanks for sticking around with us listening to this episode we hope you enjoyed it mm-hmm. if you want to support us on patreon you can you're very welcome to your please do encouraged to do so in you're fact, commanded to do so it's a uh, leech fest on on patreon if you want to follow us on twitter uh, leech fest podcast mm-hmm. um, we're also on twitch now we play yeah, video games yeah, once a week yeah we play occasionally when we, we want. play horror games mm-hmm. we play we just finished there is an evil uh village mm-hmm. and now we're playing prey yeah so if you're interested in us like video gaming video gaming video gaming you can do that <laughs> yeah otherwise uh we hope that you enjoy the episode and we will see you in the next one bye <laughs>